Lord Jesus, uh, what an honor to come here uh, to be part of a church that can gather together, uh, look into your word and grow in you. Uh, we think, uh, Lord, right now of our folks who are struggling with COVID, uh, the families, uh, the Johns, the Cobbs, others in our midst, other people we know. We do pray for a full recovery for all who are struggling with that uh, and just for the frustration as well uh, and the, just the upsetting of the normal pace and normal life that comes with these kinds of things. So uh, be close to each of these families and individuals as they go through it. Uh, Lord, we think too just of the change in seasons and how that for some that's a real challenge with the darkness and the snow. Uh, so uh, I pray, Lord, uh, you be these people's lights. Uh, remind them of encouragement from your word. Uh, get them uh, into what they need to get into to, to persevere through uh, the fall, uh, through the changing of the seasons. Lord, we pray um, for our teachers too. I know that they're down in numbers and they've been asked to do a lot in a, in a lot of the school systems with lots of kids and, and new things uh, going on with the way that things are done. And uh, just with the change in fall for all of us, Lord, meet us where we need help. Uh, give us good senses of humor. Help us to help others uh, too. Uh, Lord, and my last prayer here is, is for the folks in Afghanistan. Um, I know, Lord, uh, that kind of stories dropped out of the, a lot of the news cycles, but you know every name, every face, every person on the ground. Um, we pray that you'd help people there. Uh, those who are still trying to get away uh, to be safe, help them get out. Um, Lord, for those who are there and are going to be there, uh, preserve life and preserve your Christian witness there in a very dark place. Uh, guide your Christians to your, your brother, our brothers and sisters to shine brightly there and give them just your supernatural power, your help uh, in a very dark place. Lord, I uh, think too of just even um, our soldiers, uh, servicemen, servicewomen who have had their own boots on the ground and who know real people in Afghanistan or remember people that they've worked with. Um, guide their prayers, but uh, guide them not to lose heart, but to trust in your sovereignty that you are Lord over all the nations and that with you there is justice. Uh, with you there is your plans for the world and guide them to have uh, a bigger hope uh, than any, any government or any effort of man, but to, to have their eyes on you and uh, uh, uphold us uh, through this and, and guide us to keep on praying and, and to do what we can here. Uh, Lord, we're turning to your word, so feed us today. Uh, help us to be better disciples for you. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, quite a few weeks here, huh? I tell you. Uh, I'm actually going to change the tone a little bit and go for uh, a little bit of humor here. Um, I was thinking about uh, one humorous uh, point of contention between my wife, Holly, and I that we still talk about to this day is that 20 or so years ago when we first started dating, I never officially asked her to be my girlfriend. And this still comes up regularly, regularly. I don't know if can you believe it. But this is our situation here. Maybe you'll understand. Uh, when we first met, we met at a Starbucks. I got her phone number the very first day. I called her up right away, and we started having a lot of dates at Starbucks, right? And pretty early on um, with my future, she would be my future wife, I let her know that, hey, I would not be spending this amount of time with you or with any Christian girl unless I thought there was a potential for marriage. So I, I put my cards on the table early. And from all these uh, Starbucks dates, we also went to like, see Christmas lights in town, or we did a day trip to Catalina Island. We were in Southern California at the time. And uh, in my mind, it was a uh, you know, pretty, pretty serious thing. And then uh, I can't even remember who we were talking to, but someone came up that I knew, and I introduced Holly as my girlfriend. And I think her eyes got a little bit big there. 
And then after this person went away, she was uh, coming to me like, uh, excuse me, sir, am I your girlfriend? I'm like, well, yeah, obviously, I'm your boyfriend. But she acted shocked, or, or maybe she was shocked, because I had never pulled out this official we are boyfriend and girlfriend contract and gotten 10 signatures on it or something like that. Uh, and to this day, I still hear about it. So apparently you're supposed to do that, but I don't know. But that little conversation uh, that day was our DTR, our Define the Relationship Talk. And uh, maybe you've heard of this term DTR. Maybe you've had a DTR or two in your own life. And the point of the Define the Relationship Talk is to make clear to both parties exactly what is the essential nature of our relationship. Are we just friends? Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? What's going on here? And in any relationship, it's important for both parties to be on the same page about what that essential nature of the relationship is, or there's room for a whole world of misunderstanding, right? Friend and friends, way different from boyfriend and girlfriend. Boyfriend and girlfriend's different from employer or employee. Employer, employee's different from ruler and subject and so on. Uh, but we better understand the relationships we're in properly. And this principle is true for our relationships with people. And it's also true for our relationship with God. So let me ask you, if you were to have a DTR, your define the relationship talk with God today after church, how would you categorize the essential nature of your relationship with God? Do you see God as uh, this very powerful and holy, but perhaps very distant ruler, and you are just one of his subjects? Or do you see your relationship pretty casually, like he's your bestie or maybe your wingman? Or do you see God uh, more like an employer who's carefully scrutinizing your performance and the latest numbers to see how you, the employee, are measuring up at any given moment? Or is it some other way? What we're going to talk about today is uh, one of the primary ways in Scripture that God portrays our relationship with God as father and child. Father and child. And truth be told, uh, for some of us, and I'm actually one of them, this particular way of relating to God can be a little bit hard to swallow, right? It's, it's not really a hard thing for me to, to conceptualize God as this very powerful ruler, maybe a little bit distant from me, and me as one of his subjects in this distant portion of his realm. It's not hard for me to think about God as my creator, and I'm the created being. Uh, but father and child... I mean, that one seems a little bit almost too good to be true. And yet, Scripture makes it clear again and again, it is true. What I'm going to say this morning is that knowing God as our Father, really letting that sink down into our hearts, is going to change your life and my life and how we walk with God. And uh, you might say, well, yeah, that might be true, but how exactly? And that's the question that we're going to look at today. How will our lives be different? when we understand, when we really take it in, that God is our Father and we are his child. And I'm going to give you the answer to this question just right up front. It's going to help us to live more vibrantly for God, more full of life. It's going to make our prayers bolder. It's going to make our generosity even more generous. And it's going to make our witness for him even more steadfast. So uh, let me put it to you this way, if you like to take notes. 
vibrant Christian living starts with an understanding of God as our Father. That's where this vitality, this life in our walk with him as a disciple all begins. So if you remember nothing else, this is your sermon nugget for today. Uh, Think on that. And I'll say this as we jump in here. This is going to be a little bit different kind of a sermon than we normally do. Normally we'll look at just one passage and just kind of milk every word, every verse, and get every little drop out of everything. We're going to do uh, a look at several uh, passages, but we're going to just do like a drive-by. We're going to do a, a sample of a theme in the book of Luke. And in particular, it's the middle chapters of Luke, chapters 10 through 12, because this theme of fatherhood pops up again and again as Jesus is teaching his disciples. And you might say, well, this is kind of an odd selection for us here. Why are you doing this one? Well, the reason why is uh, this is the passage. Uh, these are the passages we've been going over in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. We're in the book of Luke. We're on these chapters. And as this has been coming up in our study, I've been kind of really uh, sitting on this uh, thought about God as our Father over and over again. So men, if you've got Thursday mornings free, 6.30, 7.30, see you there. We've got coffee. It's not good coffee, but we've got coffee. <laughs> um, so we're not going to deal with every verse here. But here's our strategy. We're going to look at this theme of the fatherhood of God in Luke's gospel in these middle chapters. We're going to hit four passages, and we're going to hit them quickly. Uh, The first one lays our foundation, and the other three spell out how owning this father and child paradigm is going to make our Christian lives more vibrant. Our prayers, our generosity, and our testimony for God. So four passages, one theme the fatherhood of God. Okay, let's uh, get your Bibles out. If you got them with you, we're going to be in Luke in the middle chapters, starting in chapter 10. Luke 10. And we're going to start in verse 17. And uh, just as you're turning over there to Luke 10, 17, let me kind of give you where we're at in the gospel as a whole. Uh, early part of Luke's gospel have been focusing on Jesus's public ministry with the crowds, with the people, letting them know who he is. And now that we get to chapter 10, Jesus has said to his disciples, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. Y'all are coming with me. And it's not so much this public ministry, it's this private ministry that Jesus has to his disciples saying, uh, I want to teach you what being one of my disciples is all about. I want to give you the mindset, the attitude, and the approach to life that I want you to emulate uh, as you follow in my footsteps here. Now, uh, we're going to pick up uh, just after Jesus has sent out 72 of his disciples to the villages ahead of him as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's uh, sent them out to preach about the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, and they're coming back to report to Jesus about how things have been going. So here we are, Luke 10, verse 17. Let's read a little bit here. The 72 disciples returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He, Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. Yeah, let's pause right there. First passage, again, we're going to go quickly, not deal with every verse here. But the bottom line of this first passage that I want us to get here about the fatherhood of God is, is we can have confidence in our status as a child of God because of Jesus. It's because of him. We're not being presumptuous in our claim to be in such a close and intimate relationship with God. And this foundational truth is spelled out first here in uh, two ways. It's going to be picked up again later in the other chapters here. And first, uh, nothing shocking here, but did you notice about Jesus as he's ministering on earth? He's ministering in the flesh, sees his own relationship with God as that of father and son. Five times in the passage, he refers to God as father. Three times he refers to himself as the son. And this is the lens and the language that Jesus uses for himself and God. And although, no doubt, Jesus has a unique relationship to God, the Father that we can't exactly share in because he's eternal, he is God himself, Jesus is going to apply this father and child language and analogy to his disciples, including us, as we're going to see in our other passages here. The second thing, just to point out from this passage about the fatherhood of God, as it relates to his disciples. We have the privilege to enter into this relationship and to know God the Father only because Jesus reveals him. I'll read verse 22 again. Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, we are totally dependent upon Jesus revealing the Father to us. We can't do it on our own. It's not like you can fight your way into God's presence uh, or earn your way or trick your way or sweet talk your way. Uh, We only know God, the Father, because Jesus is the way. We come to him through him and we can know the Father because Jesus reveals him to us. And that's a good thing because then our confidence is placed in Jesus, and not ourselves. I mean, think about it. Uh, Do you have any skeletons in your closet? Any regrets or failures from your past or even areas in your life where you say, I got some present shortcomings even now? I do. We all do. But these things don't disqualify us from calling God our Father. And that's an amazing thing. Because it's based on Jesus. It's based on his relationship with the Father. And we know from other parts of Scripture, based on what he did on the cross on our behalf, dying and rising again from the dead. But the essential nature in this define the relationship talk is based on Jesus. It's set by Jesus and what he does and what he's done and not on us. And we want that uh, because he already has an in. He's already the unique son of God and he's inviting us to be part of the family, revealing the father to us. And that thought should blow our minds. It's really awesome. Uh, First point from our first passage here, our confidence in our status as a child of God is because of Jesus. This is our foundation here. Now I said we're gonna just move quickly here through the other passages here, but uh, the other three passages spell it out. 
How will our lives be different exactly once we understand that God is our Father and we are his child? Second passage, quickly, second point. Seeing God as our Father emboldens our prayers. Seeing him as our Father emboldens our prayers. Please flip over, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1 here. And we're going to see this uh, spelled out in chapter 11. I'll read uh, from the start there. Luke 11, 1 says... One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, great words there, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, again, big chunk. Don't worry, we're not gonna go through every verse here. Second of four passages here. Um, first one's foundational, but this one is showing us the impact it makes on our prayer life when we get that God is our Father. Seeing that God is our Father emboldens our prayers. And there's just two quick things I wanna point out here. Uh, first, when the disciples say, teach us to pray, The very first thing that Jesus says to them is, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, we get to call God Father. And again, uh, I think we just need to sit on this one for a while and let it really sink into our hearts here. Jesus is applying this father-child relationship that he has with God to his disciples and saying, this is your position when you go to God in prayer. And uh, you might have noticed that Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is a little bit shorter. There's also a longer version of the same prayer in Matthew's Gospel. It's possible that Jesus taught it multiple times during his ministry. It's possible that Matthew and Luke just chose to record different parts of this prayer. You probably know that the Matthew, Our Father who art in heaven, right? It's a longer one, a little bit more formal. And that sure is Scripture too. Uh, I actually really like how Luke just gets to the punch of it here. Father. And um, even though father is a a term of intimacy, it's a term of family, it's also a term of respect, and that's why it's followed by hallowed be your name. Again, hallowed, not a word we use a whole lot. You know, may your name be honored, may it be held in high regard or revered. And um, so we're talking here in ancient culture, in Eastern culture, people respected their father. So it's not like you're saying, you know, daddy-o or some kind of flippant term for father, but there's this intimacy and respect that's mingled in here together. 
Uh, we care about God and his business, your kingdom come, just like a child would be interested in the family, how the family's doing, the family name, the family reputation, but there's also this place of connection that I'm part of the family. Uh, we can ask big because we are part of the family. And this boldness in prayer is shown uh, really at the end of the passage, more here. And uh, there's two lesser to greater analogies where something smaller is, is kind of examined and said, if this is true with this little thing, how much more so in a more important matter here? First one uh, that we just read here, it's the story of the friend coming at night asking for bread. Someone knocks on the door and Jesus is saying, can you imagine someone comes to you at midnight, knocking on your door, says, hey, I need some food. I got some visitors. I got nothing to feed them. Can you help me out? And uh, although the point there is really focusing on this shameless audacity, um, he's saying, can you imagine that you'd ever turn someone like that away? No, of course you're going to do that. And if that's the case, even with this friendship, how much more is your shameless audacity, your boldness in prayer going to be true with your heavenly father? Not just a friend, but someone who's part of the family. And then he goes in the second kind of story or analogy about the father giving gifts to kids, right? He says in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for fish, is going to give him a snake instead? Or he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion, right? I know there's all kinds of dads out there, uh, but this is just a ridiculous picture. I mean, it's like saying, you know, imagine if a kid goes to his dad and says, dad, I'm, I'm really hungry. Can I have some like crackers? The dad goes, crackers? I'll give you crackers. Firecrackers. <laughs> Lights up some firecrackers, throws them on the kitchen floor, like the green goblin going crazy. No, okay? Jesus' point is, is there's no father that's like that. Uh, I mean, even if you've got a bad father, even bad fathers know how to give good gifts to kids who are hungry here. And he's saying, if that's true with even imperfect fathers, how much more so is God going to give what's most important, his Holy Spirit, his presence, his power to his kids who are in need? And that confidence in the goodness of God as our father um, helps us to pray more boldly. He's more connected to us, closer than a friend, and he's way better than any dad, good or bad. And uh, so he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And you won't pray with that kind of hope or boldness if our view of God is like he's this distant, faraway ruler who doesn't really know me, doesn't really care, just a big kind of heavenly bureaucracy. Why would you even ask in that kind of situation? He's saying, Father, this is how you start out. And think about how a father gives good gifts. And this is going to give you the boldness to ask. Seeing God as our Father emboldens our prayers here. Okay, moving on to our third passage here, third out of four. Oops, I put it up too soon, but I'll just say it this. This next passage that we're going to look at is going to show us that seeing God as our Father magnifies our generosity. It doesn't just help us in our prayers, but it magnifies our generosity. Uh, let's flip over to chapter 12 in Luke, Luke chapter 12. And we're going to be reading from verse 22 here. Again, I'm going to give you a big passage. You're just going to pull one or two little pieces out of it here. Luke 12, 22, again, Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is the kingdom ethic I want you to develop here. This is what your lives to look like. Verse 22 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or your body, what you'll wear. 
For the life's more than food, and the body's more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spend, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink or worry about it. For the pagan's world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, wow, uh, this is a convicting passage. Uh, I was telling the guys on Thursday morning, the, the men's Bible study, uh, even if I live to be much older than I am now, I think I'll always be convicted by this passage because of how uh, radical the, the call is to trust God uh, and to, to live generously in light of that here. But the point that I just want to point out here is that seeing God as our Father magnifies our generosity. Uh, just prior to this, Jesus had been teaching his disciples about um, the kingdom ethic, about being faithful with earthly resources. He's saying, live richly towards God. Don't just turn everything inwards for yourself, but use worldly wealth for God's kingdom. And just like before in this passage, he's going to use this series of lesser to greater kind of arguments to encourage his followers to trust God and to be radical in their generosity. The first kind of lesser to greater argument he uses is the ravens, right? We know ravens up here in Alaska. I'm not a big fan. Uh, but for Jews, this would have been an unclean bird, right? They eat whatever they can find, kind of like the rat of the airways. But the point is here is that God feeds them, those dirty birds, if I can interject that. How much more valuable are you, he says to his disciples, than birds? And the second lesser to greater argument he uses is the flowers of the field. He says, hey, uh, flowers are here today and gone tomorrow. Have you ever noticed that? If you go buy flowers at the like, flower shop, it's just like, these are just going to be dead in three days anyway, right? Um, but he's saying, uh, uh, he, he's saying, uh, look at how amazing God's provision is, even for something that is such so short-lived. How much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And the explicit fatherhood language here comes at the end of the passage in verse 30, where he says to his disciples, your father, your father knows what you need, essentially, right? But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Be concerned, with your father's business, with the family name, so to speak, and just trust in his provision here. The antidote to worry is trusting in God and his provision. Live for him, trust his fatherly care for you. Verse 32 again, he says, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Uh, again, you know, man, drop the mic. That's just huge. 
He's been pleased to give us the kingdom, but note what follows right after that. There's an application. Verse 33. He's been pleased to give you the kingdom, therefore, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus expects his disciples' generosity to flow out of this understanding of God's provision. Um, It's not like when Jesus is developing this kingdom ethic in his disciples, he just says, do this, do this, do this. Just out of a vacuum, just buy your own bootstraps, just do it. No, he's saying, understand that God is your father and then lean into prayer. Understand that God's got you covered for what you need and then live generously towards others. It's always our understanding of our relationship with God where he wants us to live out of that and not just a checklist of do this, do this, do this, but know who you are and live out of that. And it's a radical call here to live generously. But Jesus says that it all comes from this understanding, this trusting our heavenly father as provider and supporter. And it can be liberating for us to know that God's got us for our needs and that we can use our stuff for his kingdom. Uh, I was reminded as I was preparing for the sermon about a story from my childhood. I don't remember the story itself. I remember it getting told to me over and over again uh, by my mom. Uh, Apparently I was about four years old living in Minnesota. We didn't have a lot of money. And my family splurged one time and got a bunch of nectarines, those big juicy ones, the summer kind, put them there in the uh, kitchen uh, for our family to enjoy at some point. And me, little four-year-old Adam, was playing with my friends outside and I invited all the neighborhood kids into the kitchen. I said, hey guys, have some nectarines. (laughs) And I don't remember if we had juice dripping down our faces or what, but you can just imagine these joyful four and five-year-olds Munching down these delicious nectarines, and my mom was livid, right? She was like, what? That, those were expensive nectarines, right? And the point of my story here is not uh, how my mom got upset. But my point is, is, as a kid, it's super easy to be generous when you're not worried about where the food's coming from. And you're, not, you're like, hey, we got nectarines. Here they are. It's all God's anyway. So you feel that generosity like you can live out of that and not just have to hold on to stuff for yourself. Uh, My mom had a slightly different perspective, but oh well. (laughs) But seeing God as our Father, as our provider, He's going to meet our needs, helps us to live more generously. We're not worried about ourselves so much. Okay, final passage here, 4 of 4. Last illustration of how our lives will be different when we understand that God's our Father. Last point, seeing God as our Father strengthens our witness for Him, our witness for Him. Let's turn back a few verses, actually. Uh, still in chapter 12 of Luke, to Luke 12, verse 4. Luke 12, 4, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body's been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Okay, let's pause right there. Point here. Seeing God as our Father strengthens our witness, and I'm going to work on this one a little bit more here. But basically, in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples about being faithful, not about with their possessions, which is where he's going to go to next, but being faithful in the faith, face of persecution. And he basically says, hey, if you guys want to roll with me, if you want to be my disciples, trouble's going to come to you. It's going to come knocking at your door. And when that happens, you're going to have a choice. You can acknowledge me before other people, or you can disown me. You can say, yep, I'm with him, and I'll have what he's having. Or you can throw me under the bus. And that can be a hard place for us to be. I mean, in all honesty, we have it pretty easy here in, in safe Alaska, right? Uh, we're in a culture uh, that's not terribly, terribly hostile to us, like, say, Afghanistan, where standing up for God can be a lot more than, you know, just taking some ridicule from a Facebook post, but it can be a matter of life and death or, in some places, imprisonment, right? Um, but it can be hard to stand up for God even for us here in our culture. But here's where the fatherhood of God comes into this passage. Now, the word father or fatherhood is not mentioned explicitly here, uh, like it is in the other passages, but a lot of the same concepts that come before here and come after here are also in this passage about the fatherhood of God. The first concept that's in this passage is that of honoring your father here, honoring his name. This time it's put in terms of fear. He says, respect God's power and his position. People might kill you for your testimony, but that's the worst they can do. But God has power and concern over your eternal destiny. So, Stand with him, stand with me, and fear him. But also another concept that is here is the amazing, wonderful care that God has for his people. Uh, he says, know that he cares for you too. And this is just like the last passage we just read where it's this lesser to greater thing. Jesus says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. Uh, he's saying, uh, if God is concerned, if he knows that much about your very situation and even cares about these little birds that die on the ground, how much more is he gonna care for you? And he says at the end there, he says, don't worry about what you're gonna say. God has your back. Don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say when you're brought before all these people. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say saying, I'm going to give you my presence, my power in that moment of trial so that you can stand firm. Long and short of it is we can stick our necks out for God and being faithful to him in upholding Jesus' name because he's got our backs in the moment and really for all eternity. We stick our neck out for him because we're confident that he's got our backs. And I'll say, as Jesus does, that doesn't mean that faithful witnesses for Christ don't die 
or go to prison or face trouble. We all know that they do, and they will. But when Jesus mentions being faithful in your witness in the face of persecution, he says, you know, death's on the menu. That's a possibility. They could kill the body, but they can do no more. But understanding who God is as Father, worthy of our respect or even our fear here, and aware of how he cares for us at every moment, knowing every hair of our head, knowing that he cares more for us than any of the birds that he knows about, can help us to be stronger in our testimony. In the little things, and by his grace, if we need to, in the bigger things, in the harder times, seeing our God as Father helps us, strengthens us in our witness for him. And uh, just in wrapping up here, you know, I, I think we all know God's our Father, right? We hear that God's our Father, God's our Father. It's something we can very easily let roll off our tongue. But I think the hard part is really letting it sink down into our hearts. Uh, it's hard to come to grips with it in a solid way. Um, and I say this uh, for me. Some of you know really well what it is to have God as your Father and to be a child. And you're the kind of people I like to hang out with and, and learn from and grow from there. So I'll as we wrap up, I just want to talk about application. If, if you're having trouble seeing yourself in this light as God is my father and I'm his child, what do you do? A uh, few suggestions, and I speak to myself here too. Uh, I'd say one thing you do, uh, if you don't already, when you pray, start referring to God as father. And not just in a cold kind of mechanical way, but really kind of sit on that for a second or two when you say it and think about it and think about his care and about how he knows your situation, about how he wants your best uh, for you. Um, uh, another thing you might try doing is to pray the Lord's Prayer regularly. Um, there's a version in Matthew that's a little bit longer, a little bit more formal. I like Luke's version, again, because it just cuts to the quick of, Father, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, to be about God's business, what's important to him, and that to, uh, you know, uh, put him in the right place and to put us in the right place uh, with him. Uh, third one, and this is a little odd, uh, but I think we just need to do a little bit of self-analysis from time to time and debriefing in our own lives. When you pray, when you have an opportunity to make a choice to give to God or to give less to God, uh, when you stand up for God or choose not to stand up for God, Reflect on that after the fact and say, God, am I doing this out of a place of understanding your commitment to me, your, your care for me? Uh, or am I letting some other paradigm kind of shout at me and put me in the wrong place? And then just pray for help. Uh, just say, God, I, I really struggle with this. Help me to see myself as your child and for me to see you as my father. Because again, um, Jesus isn't uh, about making disciples and just saying, do this, do this, do this, boom. But he's saying, uh, live in the light of God as your father. And out of that, pray. Ask boldly, because he knows what you need and he cares for you. Uh, give generously. Uh, give away your nectarines, so to speak, uh, because he's got your provisions co covered. And when push comes to shove and you have to stand up for me, my name uh, know that he's got your back. Come what may, imprisonment, death, it's more important to honor his name. Uh, but if we get a hold of this truth that God is our father, we are his children, I think it will change our lives. And we, it's not like it's an all or nothing. It can be a progression for us. Uh, we need to take on this more and more. So I'll just say it again as we wrap up. Vibrant Christian living, bold prayers, generous generosity, and this strong witness for him, it all starts 
with our understanding of who we are, our relationship with him. He's our father. We are his kids. Let me pray. Lord, what amazing love you have lavished on us that uh, you didn't just say, you're my little robots and I'm your creator. Uh, You didn't just say, you're my employees and I'm your boss. Uh, Or you're my king and you're my subjects. And Lord, we are your subjects. You are our king. But beyond that, you led us into the family by what you've done, Jesus. Uh, I pray, uh, let it sink into my heart. Let it sink into hearts even here that as we live out our, our lives, our Christian lives, that we would be more and more just in line uh, and understanding our relationship with you correctly and not with something lesser, something incorrect. We pray this for your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.